Well, about two weeks ago, I took Cade fishing. There'll be a picture of Cade and I uh, in, the, in the water that'll come up. But Cade and I went to uh, the river and, uh, and did a little fishing. And uh, it was funny because I'm, I'm fairly deep out in the water. And Cade was always a little bit behind me since he was a little shorter. And, and Steve, uh, had, uh, someone here at Trinity, had been snapping some photos and taking pictures. And so I remember I turned around and I saw Cade. And, and I was always checking on Cade. And I was usually helping Cade fix his pole. If you've ever fished with a young person, you know what that looks like. Um, and so I had, I had I'd helped them and I kind of walked away. And then I heard someone else say, oh, man, Cade's about to go under. And so I turn around. And when I turn around, if you know anything, you have waders that go about to here. And Cade was right on the brink of, of going under into his his waders. And then I realized that both arms had gone down into the water. And so now his sweatshirt is soaking wet. And so I, I moved Cade back and, and we continue to fish. And then not too much longer after this, as I'm getting out of the water, I fall. And uh, now I'm fully soaked and in, in, in the water. And we hadn't caught much. And, and I remember as we're doing this, Cade says to me, wouldn't it have been easier just to fish in the hatchery? Now, I don't know. This is a picture of the hatchery, right? And I'm like, You're, you are exactly right, buddy. It would have been much, much easier and uh, much warmer just to fish in the, the hatchery. I don't know if you've gotten to a point in life where you have felt like, man, I wish things could be easier. Like, I just wish they'd be a little easier. I wish the disappointments that I'm experiencing would go away. I wish the discouragement that I've had. I wish the, the hurts that I've had. I mean, I just wish it could be just a little bit easier. Isn't there a better way? You, you have the brokenness in relationships in your own family. You see the brokenness in relationships of the families around you. We see death. We see death of people who live a long life and we celebrate that, yet we still hurt in the midst of losing someone that we love. We see death happen to to people way too young, what we see death taken in ways that are unjust. And, and we long for something different. We often think, man, there's got to be a better way. That, that Couldn't it just be a little easier? And I think ultimately what we're saying in the midst of that is we just desire more. We just desire something different. And we hope that life could look different for us. Now, we, we've been in uh, this series called Kingdom Come, and we've been looking at this idea that when Jesus comes into the, the world, that yes, he comes as a baby, and we celebrate that at Christmas time, and, and yes, he goes to a cross, and he gives of himself for us, and he, three days later, he comes out of the grave alive and well, and he defeats death, and he brings us hope, but, but Jesus in his life is pointing to something more. Jesus in his life is saying, look, the things that you long for, the things that you desire, this peace and this hope and this joy, the things that seem to be just at our fingertips, that we're always grasping for, is available. And it's available here and now. That the kingdom isn't only available once we die. But we get a picture of the kingdom. We get a glimpse of the kingdom here and now. Now, we won't experience it fully until we pass on from this place into heaven. But, but Jesus doesn't simply say, just hold on. No, no, Jesus says, you pray. You pray that God's kingdom would come here and now. And I think when we experience the kingdom, we're experiencing what our hearts are longing for. 
And so we, we looked at this week one, this invitation that, that we invite the kingdom to come into our, our lives and into our community and into relationships. And then last week we said, well, if there's a kingdom, there has to be a king. And we looked at Jesus and we said, okay, well, who is this king? The king that rides into Jerusalem on a donkey while on the other side of town, uh, the Roman emperor rides in on, on the largest horse he could have found and in with an army to, to show how powerful he was. Yet Jesus comes in humbly and bringing peace. It's totally different, this king. And then at the end of his life, he says, look, I'm going to fulfill love here. And I'm going to show you what that looks by, like by serving his disciples, by washing his disciples' feet. This is the king that is ruling the kingdom that we are talking about. Now, as we talk about the kingdom coming, as we talk about ultimately finding what we're longing for, the hard part is there's still disappointments. There's still discouragements, there's still hurts, there's still pain and brokenness. But however, I think the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel is that, that it is good news. That there is peace and joy and love in the midst of all of those things. And I think Easter is that moment when we get to experience that and remember that. That's why we hurt with hope when we lose someone that we love who knows this king. Well, this morning... I want to look at what happens after, after Jesus, the king, goes to a cross and he's put into a grave. And we heard Kristen read just a few moments ago that they go to the grave and, and he's gone. Uh, what does Jesus do? Right? What, what does Jesus, what is his response to his followers? What do the interactions look like that he has? Now, if you don't own a Bible, there's a red Bible around you, hopefully. Uh, if you would like that, we'd love for you to have it. That's our gift to you. Uh, on the screen will be a page number. Uh, we're going to look at John 20. We're going to be right there in the end of John the, the rest of the morning. <clears throat> and I'll start in verse 10, but just before this, we see Mary Magdalene. She goes to the tomb and she sees that the stone is is moved. We have Simon Peter and the other disciples. They run up to the grave because Mary has said, look, Jesus is gone. They've taken his, his body. And so they come and they see that Jesus is gone. And then the scriptures say that they go home. They leave, right? Verse 10 it says, when the disciples went back to their homes, it says, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned toward him and cried out in Arabic, Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them, that, that, told them that he had said these things to her. So Jesus had done some extremely controversial things in his life. 
right? Jesus was always pushing the boundaries of what he was supposed to do. He was going against the things that he wasn't supposed to do. He was touching people he wasn't supposed to touch. Those who were seen as outcasts, who were on the outside, always looking in, Jesus went to them. He healed the lepers who people would avoid and he touched them. He allowed people to touch him. That the women who, who people would have stayed away from, the, the women who had a story and a past, Jesus interacted with them and he loved them. Jesus was always pushing the boundaries. Uh, really, those who were far from God seemed to be the closest to him, to Jesus. And those who seemed to want to be near to God, who were religious, seemed to be far away. And so he spent so much time with, with troubled people that people began to question what he was doing and why he was going to their houses and having meals with those people. And then there was this group that the way Jesus interacted was completely countercultural, and that was to women. See, in this day, in a pagan culture, in a Roman culture, most people saw women just a little higher than animals. Uh, there would have been slaves, and so they would have been about on that same place, but, but women would not have seen as people that you would esteem, that had a purpose or a cause to what their life was about. But then you have Jesus, Jesus who was always doing things differently. Jesus treated women with the utmost dignity and invited them to be a part of the kingdom. He actually had disciples who were women. So you would have had Jewish teachers or rabbis who were offering and inviting people to follow. But they weren't inviting women. But the scriptures are very clear that Jesus invited women to follow him. And then you have the disciples at the tomb looking for Jesus, but yet Jesus does not appear to his disciples, to his men. They leave. And while it was just a woman, Mary Magdalene, Jesus shows himself to her. And the way he does it, the way he does it while she's weeping and she's mourning and she's grieving this loss, and she thinks he's just a gardener, and then Jesus simply says her name. Oh, this is so powerful that Jesus speaks Mary's name. And when, she, when he does that, she realizes who Jesus is. That, that Jesus knows her, cares for her so much to call her by name. Just a, a question. Do, do you believe that God knows who you are? Like, do you, do you feel like God has created? Maybe there's all kinds of ideas and, and beliefs in this room today, I know. And maybe you're at a place where you're like, I get to the point where I believe that maybe God has created. That someone, somewhere, something has created all this. But, but then you just feel like maybe God has just walked away. That there's no way that Jesus, that, that, that God actually cares for you in your needs. In this moment, Jesus speaks Mary's name, it changes everything. Could, could you believe that? Could you believe that God could speak your name, that he has purpose for you, that he has a plan for you, that in the midst of your pain and trials and your grief and not knowing what's next, that God sees you and cares for you. This king doesn't wait for Mary to find him. He goes to her and says, the kingdom is near. See, I believe that God is a personal God who meets us where we are at and cares deeply for us. 
I didn't grow up in the church. If you've been around here, I've talked about that. Even my grandparents really weren't involved in, in church. Uh, my, my papa, my, my mom's dad, and my mom's mom, neither one had anything really to do with church. And they both kind of had a, 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 a rough past. And two times in their lives, at the end of their life, each one separately, as they had divorced and were remarried, each one of them, God came to them in very dramatic ways. Uh, my, my grandfather was a, a cattle farmer and had a couple hundred head of cattle, and he would often spend time alone out on a farm. And he would often tell my mom, I, there's no need for God. That there's no need for him. There's no need for religion. He worked hard. He produced something with his hands. He took care of his family financially. There was no need for God. And very clearly, one day, he felt God speaking to him. And this would have been near the end of his life where God draws near to my, my papa when my papa was not looking for him. And it was in that moment, my, my papa's life changed. It changed. And, and I can't remember a Sunday the rest of his life when he wasn't involved in a church. And he, that's all he wanted to talk to me about was how God was doing something in his life. Someone who had no need for him. And then my nano, my, my grandmother, uh, she was on her deathbed and I drove home quickly uh, to, to be with her. She was like a second mom to me and I was sitting next to her, just me and her in a, in a hospital room. And same story, my, my nano wanted nothing to do with God. But laying close to death in a bed, she had a vision and experienced God. This isn't someone who had the knowledge of that. It wasn't that she was making it up, but she knew at a deep level that God was near to her. See, God draws near to us even when we aren't expecting it, when we're not wanting it, when we think it's not possible. Mary, in her grief, God draws near to her. But not only does he draw near to her, but the announcement of the kingdom of heaven is given to her. Now, women in this day, their word wouldn't carry much weight. Uh, in the court of law, a woman wouldn't, wouldn't come in to testify to anything. But God chooses a woman as the first person to announce the kingdom of God. To announce that the kingdom has come. That I feel like it's in this moment that he says to Mary, look, everyone else may discredit you because of who you are. Everyone may discredit you because you are a woman. But I don't. Uh, in Galatians 3.28, this guy named Paul, he writes to a group of Christians in, a, in an area called Galatia. And he says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, he wasn't saying it doesn't matter if you're a, Gre a Greek or a Jew. He's not saying that's insignificant. He's not saying that we're going to look past you or that, that, that race or that gender or those things don't matter. What he's saying is in those things, you matter. That in those things, you have purpose, even when maybe culture says you don't. Even when someone else says, look, you are less than because of anything. We could make a list. God sees things very differently. We are not disqualified for any reason from experiencing the kingdom of heaven. And not only experiencing it, but having a purpose to play in the kingdom. He's bringing this new reality that all people are carriers of God's grace that you are a carrier of God's grace, that everywhere you go, you have the opportunity to make the announcement that the kingdom of heaven has come. And so we see Jesus' first interaction, the one he chooses 
to meet with first is a woman to give this good news. He knows the culture. He knows people may not believe her, yet he chooses her. And so then we see Jesus appear to a few other disciples. He brings peace to them and he shows his hands and his sides from where the nails have been placed and where the spear has pierced his side. But not all of the disciples are there. Uh, We have the story of one of the disciples and his experience with Jesus. And he's someone that receives a nickname from the Bible. I love nicknames. I don't know if any of you grew up with a nickname. Uh, Maybe it wasn't a nickname that you wanted, you didn't ask for, you often tried to get rid of that nickname. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, so I was thinking Wilt the Stilt, some of the great uh, nicknames there are. Uh, The Great One, I mean, what an incredible nickname. The Great One, anyone know who that is? Wayne Gretzky, right? Just, just to be called the great one. That is an incredible nickname. Here in St. Louis, we had Big Mac, right? We had Mark McGuire, and we had The Wizard, right? We had Ozzie Smith, one of the greatest, if not the greatest shortstops ever to play the game. Nicknames carry a weight sometimes. Sometimes you get bad nicknames. We're going to look at a guy whose name is Thomas, and he gets the nickname Doubting Thomas. I don't know if you've seen the billboard on 170, uh, it's, it's a tattoo removal company. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, on the back of a lady's neck, it says Thomas. And then on the next one, it's gone. And then below it, it says Doubting Thomas, right? That this is a character in the, the Bible who gets this nickname that people who are even don't know anything about God understand. Wasn't there a guy who doubted that Jesus even came back, right? We're, we're going to look at that interaction now. Verse 20, starting in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. It's as if Thomas is saying, I I love that you've been able to experience it. That is great for you, but I just need to experience it for myself. And I think for many of you, you have experienced it through someone else most of your life. Your faith has been on the backbone of someone else's experience. Parents, grandparents, maybe it's even your kid's faith that has kind of brought you into this place, but you you really haven't experienced the kingdom for your Self. And so Thomas in this moment is just saying, look, that is great for you. I just need to experience it for me. Verse 26, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Now, just real quickly, this says a lot to me about the disciples and Thomas. The disciples in that moment, they don't kick Thomas out because he's questioning. Right? They actually let him be with them as they sit and wonder what's next. That Thomas, even though he's not sure of what had happened or if he believes, he's willing to be with those who have faith. That they're okay coexisting with one another. And it's a week that goes by. It says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I just wonder, I like to put myself in the position of Thomas here and I'm thinking, okay, I've seen it. I don't really need to put my finger uh, in it. Like I, 
I know I, I uh, may have said that, but I didn't really mean it. I'm good. I'm, I'm good now that I've, I've seen it. But, but Jesus knows Thomas. Like, just like he knows Mary, he knows Thomas. He knows the doubts that Thomas has had. And Jesus comes to him. He comes to Thomas. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, Thomas is asking the fundamental question I think that many of you have probably asked. Is this true? Is this true? I mean, we come into this place and we talk about Jesus going to a cross and we, we talk about how three days later Jesus isn't in the tomb. And if you're honest, we have probably asked the question, is all this true? And, and really, I wonder if you wonder if you can even ask that question. Is it okay to wonder, is this true? That oftentimes our questions, our doubts, are not always from a lack of faith. They're not always from a lack of faith. Maybe they are from a place of wonder, a place from wanting to understand God more, that our questions are not bad. Kate and I, uh, not too long ago, he was learning about Native Americans, and he was talking about how they always use everything from the buffalo and, and how they kind of were endangered, and now they're not. And I, and I made the statement, which wasn't true, but I, in the moment I was just kind of responding that we really don't, don't have to kill buffalo or bison anymore. And I know some people... Some people eat them, but, but he, he heard it as we, we don't do that at all. And, and Cade, if you've ever been around a small child and when you're having kind of a, an important conversation and then it kind of just goes quiet, I knew that Cade was thinking. And Cade in this moment says, well, what about buffalo wings? Right? And I'm like, buddy, that is a great question. That is a great question, and I explained to him how that's not true. I mean, we got a restaurant called Buffalo Wild Wings with a buffalo and wings on it, right? And so for Caden, what I've always tried to create with my kids is ask any question you have, right? And there is no wrong question, right? And so when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationship with, with God, maybe we have made people believe for too long that they can't ask questions, they can't doubt that if their faith isn't that of a, a friend or of a relative, that they're, they're weak. But we see Thomas in this moment verbalize his doubt and Jesus meets him where he's at. And so we want to create a culture where you can come and afterwards you can come and ask me questions. We have people who do that often. That you can ask someone that you know, hey, I'm struggling with this. I don't get it. Do you really believe this? And not that we're going to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But that we could wrestle with it with one another. See, see here's, here's what happens. Uh, we want to be loved, but often we're loved but not known. Right? That, that relationships are really kind of surface. People say they love us, but they don't really know us. Or our, our great fear is that people will know us but not love us. They really will know who we are and they may have seemed to love us at one point, but they just don't anymore. And that is a fear that we would be known 
and not loved. But ultimately, what I believe God does and what we as the church, as followers of Jesus, have, a, have an opportunity to be a part of is to know people and love people. To know where people are coming from, knowing their stories, and in the midst of that, love one another well. So we see again, Jesus comes and he gives of himself to Thomas, even in the midst of his doubting. He doesn't get mad. He meets Thomas where he is. He shows him what he needs to know. And then he says, okay, stop doubting. Stop doubting. I'm going to prove myself to you. I'm going to show who I am. And so would you just know that this morning, as we're here on Easter, and, and maybe this is your first time in church in a long time, or maybe you're here every week, and you have some doubts, it's okay. I believe that God meets us where we are at and begins to maybe not answer all of our questions, Look, I don't want to put God in a box where I know everything about him. I'm okay having some faith and some wonder and not being able to explain everything. And that's okay. That's okay. And so we, we read, I read at the end of that, it says, look, there's some other things that happen, but they're not written down, but this is all put in there. That way we would all believe um, and have life in his name. And you would think that would be a great place to just end. Like that's the good ending of a good story. But he goes on. And if you know anything about the story of Jesus and the days leading up to the cross, and maybe you don't, there's this guy named Peter. And Peter is with Jesus in the last moments of his life. And and Peter makes this statement that I'll I'll never betray you. I'll always be with you. And Jesus says, look, you're going to betray me. You're going to betray me in the way of, of pretending not to know me. And Peter's like, no, there's no way. And we see that that happens for Peter's life. That Peter, in three situations, when people question, weren't you with Jesus? No, no, I don't even know him. That Peter denies. And the the scripture that Kristen read earlier, it says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Right? That the guy who doubted me, make sure he he knows. Right? So so what happens? Let's look at verse 21. Or uh, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. It says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Simon Peter was a fisherman at first when Jesus calls him to follow. And it's in this moment when Peter doesn't know what's going on that he goes back to his old life. Things got difficult, things got hard, and, and it's in this moment where Peter thinks, man, I'm just going back. I'm going back to what I've known, what's easier. I know it's not what my life was called to, but I'm, I'm, going, I'm going back. We'll go with you, they say. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, and he called out to them, friends. <sighs> These are the guys who had just abandoned him. These are the guys when Jesus goes to a cross that they're nowhere to be found. And Jesus calls out to them. Hey, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. They had experienced this one other time. 
They had been fishing when, when Jesus says, hey, throw your boats on the other side, and they catch something. So in this moment, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved says to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumps into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. Just think about that. A hundred yards to me seems like a pretty long swim, but Peter jumps into the water. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and said, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I wonder how quiet that breakfast was. I wonder in that moment, the disciples who had walked away are wondering how Jesus views them. But see, Jesus invites them to a meal. He invites them back into relationship. Even though they had walked away, he says, friends, come and be with me. Verse 15, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So get the picture that they've had breakfast and he pulls Peter aside. It's not in the midst of breakfast that he calls out Peter's denial, right? It's as if he loves Peter first. He calls him friend and invites him in for a meal. And then he says, hey, hey Peter, let's, let's chat. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. And when you were wanted and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter, who had walked with Jesus, saw the miracles, heard Jesus talk about what he was going to do. When times got hard, he walks away. Not only does he walk away, but he wants to pretend that he had nothing to do with Jesus. Ever been there? Ever been at a place where like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm going to either hide my faith, I'm going to pretend, or things are just too hard, and I'm done. Maybe that's even where you find yourself today. And if we are anything like Peter, Jesus again comes to him comes to Peter and he restores Peter. And just like Peter denied knowing him three times, three times Jesus gives this question, do you love me? Do you love me? And after each response, there's so much in this where Jesus says, feed my sheep. What he's saying is, I still want you to be a part of what I'm doing. Even though you didn't want anything to do with me, I want you to be a part of what I'm accomplishing. There is this invitation to something more. There's an invitation to be a part of 
the kingdom, that he still believes in Peter. And I wonder, I wonder if Peter's shame and his guilt, if his regret thought there was no way he could ever be a part of what God was doing. But Jesus gives this invitation. And see, I believe that in Jesus, our futures can look different. When he calls us to something, he will see us through it. I believe that his past, Peter's past, wasn't going to determine his future. The same is true about you. That your past, the life you have lived, the choices you have made will not determine your future. If we believe that God has something different for us. And he ends with the same invitation he had given at the beginning of of this journey. Just follow me. Follow me. See, we see in each one of these stories that Jesus comes to them, that Jesus knows them and meets them where they're at, that Mary's grief, wondering uh, in the midst of culture what purpose she plays, Jesus meets her in the midst of that and says, you are going to announce the kingdom has come. He comes to to Thomas in the midst of his doubt and says, look, I know you don't believe, but now you will believe. I want to answer the doubts and the questions that you have. And then with Peter, when Peter feels like there's no hope, that he just might as well go back fishing because the the promises that God had made him are probably no longer true because of the choices that he's made. Jesus comes and says, no, 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 it's not too late. It's not over. I have something for you to be a part of this kingdom. And friends, I want to extend the same invitation to you today, that I believe God knows exactly who you are, that I don't believe it's by accident that you're here this morning, that God cares deeply for you, that has a plan for you, and has an invitation extended to you to be a part of something bigger than yourself, that you can be forgiven, that death does not defeat us, that sin does not have to have power over us, that oppression and injustice, those things are fleeting because the kingdom has come and we have an invitation to receive it. That us, between us and the Father, us and God, we say, God, I want that. I want the forgiveness, but I I want to experience the kingdom now, the desires that you have, not that life will be perfect, not that you will have difficulties, but that you could experience hope and peace in the midst of all of those things. Well, Greg's going to come up and, and close us in uh, the song that we sing every week. And, and the lyrics of it, if you've been around here, hopefully they've sunk in enough. This idea of, of singing to God what we desire after hearing that, that. This is what we want to happen in our midst. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, would you stand as we do that and as we sing? And then I'll come back up and give you just a little direction of what uh, will happen next. Father, I'm so thankful that uh, you know us. Uh, you, you know how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves in the midst of culture, how we see ourselves because we doubt and struggle. We, we see ourselves in the midst of our shame and our regret. But Lord, I'm so thankful that you have something more for us. I pray for my friends in this place today who maybe don't know that. They don't know that there is a forgiveness for them, that there is a love that is given to them. Lord, I pray that today, that this Easter, they would understand that that they are known and loved. God, would you use us? Those of us who are followers of yours, would we understand that there's an invitation to follow you and to help bring your kingdom into our world? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.